So we have really powerful readings tonight, and uh, the gospel tonight is so beautiful, and it is so challenging. And tonight what I really want to do is just break that open, and I hope you walk away tonight and you say, wow, that is so beautiful, it captures my heart, and I need to renew my commitment to God. And I have to bring that back into its, its full force. So we as Christians, we are engaged not in a sprint, but in a marathon. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It calls for perseverance. It calls for uh, being vigilant and watchful. Famous verse on this, in Hebrews chapter 12, whoever wrote Hebrews says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. You and I are involved in a race, and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I don't know if all of you run or not. I used to before I got old and fat and my knees gave out. You're supposed to laugh at that. I'm not that fat, right? (laughs) But, uh, I don't know if you're runners, I miss running tremendously. A great story, one of my, my good friends who's a priest, he is not a runner, and he tried once when he was in, in seminary, and he didn't do a marathon, but he didn't train at all, always good, good thinking, right? No training, and so he decided he would just go run the uh, Garden of the Gods 10-mile run. I've run that before. It's a really hard race because it's filled with hills. It's really difficult. So my friend, Father John, before he was a priest, he just thought, I just, oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty fit. I'll just go run this. So he goes and he starts this race, and it's pretty tough, but he's doing okay. And you go up these hills, you're coming down these hills, and it's a lot like the Christian life. There's moments where you feel like, wow, I'm just coming down a hill. Everything's great. I've got speed and momentum. There's times where you're going up a hill, and it's really hard. And he makes his way bit by bit, and he's starting to lose his energy. And towards the end of the race, if you've ever run that, there's a long downhill stretch at the end, and he didn't think he was going to make it, though, to the last stretch. But he gets up the last hill, and it's all downhill, and he's running and running, and he faints, and he crashed on the pavement and went unconscious, and if God knew what he was doing, he would have died right there. No, just kidding. <laughs> he's fine. He's a priest today. But he, not, he, he passed out. The paramedics came, and they got him. And he's, they put him in the back of an ambulance, and he's out cold, and they put some uh, smelling salts under his nose, you know, and woke him up. And they're trying to get a sense of if he's okay or not, and they said, do you know what day it is? And he said, yeah, it's Pentecost. <laughs> True story. And, they were the, the, and it was Pentecost. But the paramedics were like, we need a new job. <laughs> so he didn't quite make it. But I love that story. It's, it's, it's just, just a hilarious story. But it, it demonstrates for us what we all know. 
You can make it great through a race and you can feel really good on different sections of a course. But you've got to make it to the end. And tonight, brothers and sisters, this gospel, you could pick that up just from reading it. The gospel, right, is about keeping your lamp lit. Keeping your lamp lit. And the watches of the night, and we're going to break this open. This parable tonight is going to break your heart open. It's going to call you to a deeper perseverance, a deeper love of God. And we want, we're going to get to that right away. But one last note tonight before we do that. Tonight's gospel is about the eschaton. Does everybody say eschaton? So eschaton is the Greek word for the end or the last thing. And what I want to challenge you to tonight is that you need to have a revolution in your thinking, and so do I. The, the normal thing for all of us as Christians, it's very easy for us to go through this life and for us to be just like everybody else, and that's good, don't be weird. But it's easy for us to be like everybody else. We have a nice house. Well, not in Denver, it's too expensive. You have a house that costs four times as much as it should. You drive on I-25, you have friendships, you like the Broncos, whatever it might be. And I'm also a Christian. You can't live that way. The early Catholic Church in the first centuries of Christianity, the church knew that you and I lived in the eschaton. And what I mean by that, the church didn't think that the world was going to end tomorrow. Some people will tell you that they're wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. What Christianity always knew and what Judaism always knew, the Jews always knew that at the end of time, God would raise the dead. But what they did not expect was that in the middle of time, God would raise one man from the dead. And when that happened, when Jesus Christ conquered sin and death and rose from the dead, we Christians knew that everything had changed. Everything. The early church knew that we lived in the final age. And what that meant, and this is all over the New Testament, and this is the story of my life, and it should be the story of your life, is all the good things of this world, the normal things that all of us desire. Right? A nice house, an easier commute, a great marriage, obedient children, hair that grows back, all these things that we desire, they're good things. But when he rose from the dead, everything changed. And God gave us a love and a hope that was so powerful, the early church stopped hoping for lesser things, and she gave her heart to eternal things. And that's what you're called to do. Okay, so let's dive into our gospel. Tonight's gospel presumes a little bit it presumes that you know what happens in an, at a Jewish wedding feast. At a Jewish wedding ceremony, we're told tonight, right, there's a bridegroom who's been away. He's coming back, and there's ten virgins that are waiting for him to come back. 
And so we have to know what happens in Jewish weddings. So in the time of Christ, the way a Jewish wedding works, and I love talking about this because, sorry guys to stick it to you, but the women are going to demand more from you after this. When you were betrothed in Jesus' day, for you to get married, what had to happen is that the groom had to go build the home that you would live in as a married couple. Ladies, do you want that to come back? Yes, you do, right? Guys are like, nope. Sorry, we live in Denver. Uh, But that's what you would do. So the groom had to leave, and he would go and he would build the house that he and his bride would live in. And the wedding fees, what happened at the, at the wedding itself, the wedding circled around this, is that when the groom finished building the place they would live, he would go back for his bride, and he would bring her to their new home, and there was a week of joy and festivity around that. Powerful stuff. So Jesus in John 14 says this, And this is, by the way, this is at the Last Supper. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. Brothers and sisters, that's a wedding proposal. The church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going to my Father's house. And by the way, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I will return, and I will bring you to myself. That's a wedding. And so tonight in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about a groom who's been away and is coming back to bring his bride to himself. This is no abstract parable. This is the life of the church. So this happens twice in history. There's two times that Jesus fulfills tonight's reading. Jesus makes the church his bride. He does it in his own lifetime, and it is completely fulfilled when he returns in glory. The church has always understood that at the Last Supper and the cross, Jesus gives himself fully to his bride, the church, and he marries her. And so tonight in this parable in Matthew 25, it says, The foolish virgins took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. The wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, right, Jesus has been away from the church, he's delayed. They all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. 
Behold the bridegroom. In the gospel stories, one of the things that happens that is so cool, and as you get to know scripture and as you study it and it comes to live inside of you, one of the things you'll notice is that the gospel writers are very attentive to the hours around the passion. And in this parable tonight, we're told that at midnight, there's a cry that goes out. And all the virgins are asleep. And if we know our Bible, what this should make us think of is in the, in the passion narrative, when it's midnight, we find ourselves in Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, the apostles are asleep. And there's a cry that goes out because Judas shows up to arrest Jesus and to bring him to the cross. That, brothers and sisters, is the hour that the groom comes to the church to give his life for her. The second time, of course, will be at the end of time. And the challenge to us is that our lamps would be burning, that we would be awake, that we would be vigilant. So how do we do that? Here's the second big point tonight. It's no mistake that in this parable, Jesus talks about ten virgins. And I want to talk about why that matters. You might not be a virgin. Many of you are married. Most of you are called to marriage. Some people who are not physically virgins are still called to be priests and sisters. God makes all things new. But what does this mean for us? The early church loves virginity. And it talks about it not just in the New Testament, but the early Christians talk about virginity all the time. It was massively important to them. And percentage-wise, in the church, there was a massive percentage of people who dedicated themselves to virginity and celibacy. And tonight we're going to draw straws after Mass. 30% of you, right? No, just kidding. Right? Yeah, I'll just leave it there. Okay, so <laughs> I could go further. I won't. Why does that matter? Why does the church talk about virginity? Here's why. To understand virginity, you have to understand why Jesus and Mary are both virgins. So Balthazar helps us out here. Balthazar says this. He says, Mary's abiding physical virginity is the bodily aspect of the abiding inner virginity, which means the exclusiveness of her spiritual faith. For the fathers and for the New Testament, this is 1 Corinthians 7, if you want the, the address for this. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that Mary was a virgin? Who cares? What's the big deal? Here's why it matters. Virginity in the New Testament means one thing. It means that you have one love and only one love. It 
Mary's virginity matters to us as Catholics, brothers and sisters, because it's the symbol that her heart was holy and completely given to Jesus. Balthazar goes on, the glorification of virginity by the fathers, which they apply both to the church's virginity and to that of those vowed to it, and of each individual member of the church, even people who are married, is directed fundamentally to a Marian virginity, which is itself primarily the expression of a personal attitude to the God coming to meet them nuptially. Here's what all this means. According to the fathers of the church, it's not just priests and religious who are called to virginity. The Catholic Church is virginal. And every one of you, if you are a true Christian, is spiritually a virgin. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that your heart is given to him. This is how the church stays awake. There are ten virgins. Five are foolish, five are wise. So how do we do this? To wrap up tonight's homily, how do we do this? How do we have lamps that are lit? How do we run the race before us with perseverance? How do we not have our lamps go out? It's quite simple. In this marathon, brothers and sisters, you have to love God. And tonight, I would, I would just challenge you tonight when you go home this week, go back and pray with these readings. And I want you to pray specifically with our psalm. And our psalm tonight tells us how to do this. Our psalm tonight is Psalm 63. Being a Christian does not mean that you know certain things. Primarily, at least. Being a Christian does not mean that you have a good moral life. Lots of people who are not Christians have good moral lives. Being a Christian does not mean even that you're at Mass on Sundays, although that is necessary. Being a Christian means that your heart burns with love for God. Psalm 63, which we heard tonight from our choir. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't just want your good behavior, he wants your heart. The way that a bride waits for her groom who is working on their house, she waits every day for him to come back. My soul thirsts for you, my God. The 
that you would come and that I would be with you. That you would make all things right. That we would no longer be separated. Verse 6 is especially relevant for tonight's gospel. Verse 6 of Psalm 63. When I think of you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. At midnight, the apostles are asleep in Gethsemane. The question for us is, will we be? The way that we stay awake, brothers and sisters, is we have to renew our hearts. We have to long for God. We have to yearn for his beauty and his truth and his goodness. Jesus, tonight, may we never give our hearts to the world which steals our love for you. May our heart not be set on wealth or on comfort, on pleasure. Jesus, may our hearts be given fully to you. May we meditate on you in the watches of the night. Indeed, Lord, may our very souls thirst for you.